I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I met somebody once one of the first days of college and he said like uh, it's like one of those meet and greet things for your class and he was like what are you into and I was like oh, I'm very into comedy like all types of comedy stand up you know all types of comedy basically and he was like oh so am I uh, like who do you like and I was like uh, at the f- I was 18 bearing in mind I was like oh I'm very into Monty Python at the moment and he said I don't know any of his work <laughs> <laughs> Hmm? It's like I don't think you're into comedy in the same way that I am. Yeah. <laughs> Max, that's such a cool answer to what are you into? If somebody had asked me that at eighteen, I probably would have just gotten sick of my own <laughs> shoes. Welcome to Legitimate Likes, the podcast where we look at some of humanity's most popular fascinations and try to work out whether they're worthy of the hype. They're likes, but are they legitimate likes? My name is Will, and I'm joined, as always, by Hugh. Hello, Hugh. Hi, Will. How are things? Oh, things are okay, apart from I've got an ingrown toenail and it hurts real bad. Sitting down's okay, though. Oh, no. How did you get an ingrown toenail? Well, no, it's a silly question. It just grew inwards, did it? Genetics, yeah, I think, is the problem. Um... And it hurts a lot, it's a bit infected, it smells a bit gross. Don't know why I started with this. Do you know what, Will? I think you need a doctor. I think I do need a doctor. If only we had a doctor in, in the house. We do have a doctor in the house. We are delighted to welcome back a friend of the podcast and guest of the show, um, Mags. Hi. Mags, how are you? Yeah, grand, thanks. Great. Any parts of you ingrown? Um, no, all growing outwards. Congrats. As God intended. I'm very jealous. Yeah. Have you any tips for Will? Um, there's a trick you can do with uh, like a toothpick to try and get the corner of the nail to to keep going outwards. Yeah. So if the corner of the nail has grown like into the skin yeah. and is making the skin bigger and is sort of growing through a part of the skin, yeah. Like, there, oh God. Will the toothpick help? I'd say probably you've gone a little far for the toothpick trick at this point. Yeah. The toothpick trick is for yeah. just before it gets burrowing. Whereas I did. I, now, I did have surgery on it once when I was like nineteen. Really? I, I thought That's that recurred. would stop it. That's unusual. Yeah, it, was re- it, it was very unusual because I it, before I, I also did the coast to coast walk of of England uh, with an ingrown toenail. That was pretty painful. Um, but I 
I thought it was just finished, and then usually I, I'm usually quite good at knowing when it's like growing the wrong way and can cut it yeah. accordingly. Did you, Mags? Did you? Did you? Did you ever operate on ingrown toenails when you were a surgeon? Oh, I've t- I've wedge resected many an ingrown toenail. <laughs> wedge resected. Yeah, yeah. That's an exceptional <laughs> collection of noises. Actually, one of the original, like one of the only things in medicine that actually I really had to suppress my gag reflex for, <laughs> is curetting the nail bed where you like scrape away the stuff that oh, the nail grows out of. God. Oh, is hold on. <laughs> uh, no, so the have stuff I had under that the done nail. to me? Yeah, you've definitely had that done to you. <laughs> there was a lot of local anaesthetic, and I was lying yeah. down, and I could feel him like hitting around th- this <laughs> lump of meat that was me. And then I looked. I looked up at one point. That was a bit of a mistake. It was a bit of a mistake to look. Yeah, I I used to try and get people to lie down flat, bend up their knee, and put their foot flat on the table, mm. so that if they looked up, they couldn't see what was going on because it's not in their interest to. Yeah. No, I mean I hope sensitive listeners have already fainted and won't hear any of this. But so, do you remove the whole toenail? Then, no, no, you wedge resect it, but yeah. So the side of the nails. So say like there's a, like an example nail. I'm holding up my thumb on the um, on the video call for the listeners. For those at home, hold up your own thumb. So you go. So say if this side was ingrown here and this corner had grown into the toe, then you would just cut straight down the nail and just take out a slice of nail. Okay. And then you destroy this little bit here to stop the nail growing out because your nail grows out of this bit called the matrix. And then you just always have a slightly narrower nail. That would have been a much more boring movie. Yeah. That's the red pill is having a wedge section. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's pretty rough. Also, I I don't know about you guys, but I I use my feet quite regularly. Do you? Yeah. What's your main use? You put them to well. Standing up. This is like a Buzzfeed yeah. article. Like ten great uses for your feet. <laughs> I use them to stand up, Hugh. That's what I use them to do. Uh, yeah. I can see someone who's not standing up right now. That is that is a perfect segue, Hugh. Mm-hmm. You've done very well there. Thanks. I mean, we can try and run a few more if you want. You know, yeah, okay. Just pick the um, best of them. Uh, speaking of of up, uh, someone here has also seen the film Up. Hello. <laughs> yeah, that one got it. <laughs> uh, hi guys. Um, hi, hi Anya. Friend of the pod. Producer uh, of the pod. Producer of the pod. <laughs> and uh, very happy to be here to fill in uh, yet again for Michael, who is. Um, Still away. <laughs> Still in prison. <laughs> Still in prison. Um, so so uh, it's great to be here. Uh, that was a nauseating 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I, I think I have a strong stomach, but actually I got a bit ropey in, in the middle of that. This actually isn't a sort of a, 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 a an online consultancy for feet, um, despite the start. What? Why am I here? So today uh, we're talking about stand-up comedy uh, and what we mean by that is I suppose uh, performances that are delivered by a a solo performer uh, to an audience Um, and we're talking about attending stand-up comedy, performing stand-up comedy, uh, Netflix specials, arena shows, um, the whole nine yards. Uh, So I think we we will start today with with a quiz. Now I have it in a slightly different format, excitingly. Mm today okay so i'm going to give you guys three facts about stand-up comedians two of them are true but i have made up one of them and you need to guess which one i have invented 
Fact number one. Uh, in the 80s, Ricky Gervais was a pop singer and was one half of a a duo, obviously. Uh, and he released a single, More to Lose, and it became a teen anthem in the Philippines. Uh, and apparently that song, More to Lose, is still a, a, a cultural landmark in, in the Philippines. And he is on a par with Peter Gabriel. In, in terms of uh, uh, 80s teen music. That, just to clarify, that's more to lose rather than more to lose. Like, <laughs> yeah, more It's not about the French lose. city. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Yeah, that would be en plus to lose, wasn't, wouldn't it be? <laughs> well, I don't know. So, our second fact. Yeah. Sarah Silverman holds a PhD in astrophysics from Caltech and she was selected for a space flight by NASA but she failed her basic training because she suffered from space sickness and after she left NASA she got into comedy uh, these are both false so far okay well fact the third uh, medical theme for this one which is good um, so Steve Martin and Martin Short uh, have colonoscopy parties together uh, so every time they have their colonoscopy uh, they schedule them the same day and they have a sleepover with Tom Hanks at Steve <laughs> Martin's house. <laughs> and the night before they drink the, whatever the cleansing, what's it called, Mike's? Bar- bar- clean, pr- clean prep. Oh, not barium then. <laughs> clean prep. No. Um, and they hang out and they play poker and then the next morning they go for their colonoscopies together. That sounds right. So we have three facts there. Ricky Gervais uh being a, a, a heartthrob in the Philippines, Sarah Silverman and her uh, space flight for NASA, and Tom Hanks, Steve Martin, and Martin Short having colonoscopy parties. Wait, how many are made up and how many are true? Uh, I've made up one of them. Oh, only one of so them. So two are true. Yeah. Ricky Gervais did definitely sing because he's always banging on it. It's one of the things that I feel like... <laughs> I mean, I like a lot of Ricky Gervais' stuff, I should say. I think he's he's done some amazing stuff. But I do feel like any time, even when it's like mocking David Brent for bringing the guitar into the office, it's also Ricky Gervais saying, yeah, but I can play the guitar and sing. <laughs> you know? But I don't know, is he a heartthrob in the Philippines? Yeah, he was the manager of the band Suede in the 90s. Okay. And then went from being like a uni kind of arts ends type person to working in radio. So I didn't know the singing a bit, but I wouldn't be that I know, surprised. I know he definitely the thing did. I'm sure. I definitely, he definitely tried to make it as a musician. I know that. But. Okay. So then that's probably right. I'm pretty sure the Sarah Silverman thing is wrong. That can, yeah, I mean, you do, well, you don't go from be, I totally believe she's got a PhD in astrophysics, but I don't think... I don't. Well, sure, but, but even if that's true, like... I don't think that gets you onto a NASA flight, you know? <laughs> um, I also think she went like she was in SNL and she was very young for a period of time as well. So yeah. I'm pretty sure she was in comedy very young. I feel like I've heard the last one before. I've heard the colonoscopy party that thing. That sounds before. highly plausible to me and exactly like what I would expect those people to do. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Ooh, it's difficult. So we're going, we're going, Sarah Silverman is false, are we? Yeah. Yep, Sarah Silverman is, is not real. She is false. Oh, I was so proud of that one. You got me. <laughs> yeah, boy. Rumbled. Um, I was trying to keep it on the, I think it's very plausible that she would have a PhD from Caltech. I, I believe it, that myself. Yeah, it sounded like, it sounded like a fact I'd heard, but had been 
slightly forgotten in my brain. But again, so but but Anya, it's more just that I think you jumping from that she that was her area of study to the fact that she would then be an astronaut. Like I think it's kind of <laughs> like it'd be like saying you know Sarah Silverman studied music and was then asked to be in U two, you know. The next day. <laughs> Like, but she couldn't. She couldn't stay in YouTube because she got guitar sickness. <laughs> <laughs> I love space sickness as a concept. I was like, Hee-hee-hee-hee. space sickness. <laughs> and Ricky Gervais was. He was in a band called Siona Dancing, Ooh. and uh, they. He is that 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 song is is a massive hit in the Philippines, which is pretty interesting. And yeah, the Tom Hanks, Steve Martin, and Martin Short. They do have colonoscopies parties together. Um, and uh, that's nice. Yeah, that's, it is nice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So fair play to them. Well, now, just the way you phrased it, though, right? You phrased <laughs> it that Steve Martin and Martin Short had them when they scheduled their colonoscopies, and then Tom Hanks came along too. Like, does he have a colonoscopy too, or is he just along? Is he, he does. more voyeuristic? I, I just, I'm, I'm conscious that he's not a stand-up, so I was just trying to, uh, oh, okay. you, know, you okay. know, stay on, mm. yeah. Um, but there's, there's, I mean, I was looking up, you know, wacky facts about Steve Martin. There was about twenty-five of them. Like, there's just, <laughs> he is a madman. Like, there's just, you know, yeah. So there was a lot. There was, it was, it was a rich seam of info for me to pick from. Uh, mm. But, but I, I love the colonoscopy party thing. So yeah. So we're here today to talk about stand-up. Um, do you guys want to set out your, your opening positions? Is that the um, end of the quiz? Yeah, that's the end of the quiz. Yeah. I, I went for a different format. I went, to, well, I went for a long form format. Uh, I think it was a pretty short form format. I don't I mean can to give, give you, you mid-show. But... I can give you one other question. One other quick question. Hit us. Okay. So, <laughs> Did uh... Sarah Silverman have a PhD <laughs> from Caltech? So it's actually quite hard to get stats on comedy for the last few years because obviously very little has happened in live performance. So a lot of my statistics are from 2019. So, uh, okay. So in 2019, Forbes released uh, a list of the highest earning comedians and there was only one woman in the top 10. Do you know who the one woman was? Amy Schumer, I'd say. I would yeah, I, I would. So I would have guessed Amy Schumer if it had been like 2016 or 17. Is she yeah, still? Yeah, fair enough. Um... Does it? Are we talking stand-ups only? Or are you talking across all of comedy? Yeah, like would Ellen DeGeneres be? No, this these, this was all this was the stand-up comics, the stand-up one. And and is it their income from stand-up? Because like Kevin Hart is the highest-earning stand-up comedian. Yeah, in the Kev- world, Kevin Hart was the number one, and he I think there was fifty. He made fifty million from. But that's because that he's doing movies with you know all of that too. I mm. yeah. I mean, you're not talking to Michael here. I haven't, I haven't run the numbers that degree. <laughs> you haven't <laughs> dug into the accounts, like, and how no. many how many creditors do they have who are still waiting to be paid? <laughs> yeah, what uh, are their liabilities? Uh, but you're absolutely right. It is Amy Schumer, and oh. she made less than half of what Kevin Hart did. But Kevin Hart oh. is very much an unstoppable force. Uh, so my then my last uh, question, I'd which be I've been quite made happy to, to make less than half of what Kevin Hart makes, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I'd be happy enough with that. In fact, I do make less than half of what Kevin Hart <laughs> yeah, makes. So do I. Yeah. So the <laughs> highest grossing stand-up comic ever. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different sources for this, but who do you think features the most uh, as being the, the, the absolute grandfather of stand-up comedy? I would say Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, good call. Again, he does make money from everything. Yeah. Um, and probably has to be American. Like, obviously, if you're talking real, like, influence and grandfather stand-up, you do have your, your um, 
well over this side more Billy Connollys and people like that mm. but but yeah Seinfeld's a good guess Will you haven't heard of uh, anyone in the world so no I, I think Seinfeld is a, a very good shout because it's got to be someone who's older right well Mags is absolutely right it is Jerry Seinfeld wow. uh, and now a huge amount of that his general wealth is from uh, what's the word royalties or what, what do they yeah. call it it's, it's, uh, syndication of, of um, Seinfeld itself yeah uh, but he is, you know, uh, head and shoulders out there ahead of nearly everybody else mm. uh, in terms of the, you know, the more total picture. Mm. Uh, so I think it's very clear that you guys, especially Max, definitely know your stuff about comedy. <laughs> so it's very clear that like to... one of us knows what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, do you want to set out your opening statements? Do you want to let Max go first or do you guys want to? Go ahead, Max. I suppose we introduced you uh, because you were talking about ingrown toenails. We introduced you as Dr. Max. But I mean, you were also someone who's you know, performed a fair amount of stand-up in your time. Is that fair to say? I've treaded the boards back in the day. Yeah, I haven't performed since 2016. So, because uh, of Trump. Yeah, because of Trump, obviously. It's a boycott. And Brexit. Um, yeah, and I won't go back on stage until the truck drivers are back. <laughs> as I Mags will said. not perform until Tibet is free. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, no, I think um, I love stand-up, obviously. I'm like, uh, probably it's become obvious, like a comedy nerd. Um, But I understand that it has a Marmite quality. And I also understand that there are a lot of very annoying stand-ups. And probably the way stand-up is presented to most people, there's a lot of stuff that I don't enjoy that much. You know, the kind of... um, Michael McIntyre roadshow style stuff mm. so uh, I love stand up as an art form and love a lot of its practitioners but I also uh, accept that there are things wrong with it and I understand why people might like it yeah and it's it's an interesting one I think and I used to do a bit of stand up as well in fact Mags and I used to do stand up together mm. occasionally and in fact as uh, I tended to uh, do a certain amount of emceeing of uh, stand up shows we did I will say that the best reactions I ever tended to get on stage were when I introduced Mags and then left the stage so I mean that was <laughs> I guess a positive and a negative for me you know mm. I feel like that was a that was a good 6 minutes of material but now I'm going to oh, I'm going to really hit them hard with this Mags introduction <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, oh, look, I really enjoyed doing it. And yet I kind of, I don't know when I lasted, I would say, yeah, five or six years ago. And I don't really have any great desire to go back to it now. You know, the odd, uh, the odd, the odd wedding speech is enough to, to keep, keep me going these days, Mm -hmm. I feel. And, um, and yeah, I think I've, I used to watch a lot more stand-up than I do now. I don't really yeah. go to it. And I used to watch a lot of stand-up on TV as well, which I, yeah. every now and then I will. But um, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say any more just yet. I'm going to keep my powder dry. Will, what about you? So I'm an actor and comedian who works in, in the world, in the industry. I'm in a very conflicted situation where I have always wanted to do stand-up and have never done it because I'm a big old scaredy cat. Uh, and also have a sketch comedy group so anything i say is either going to be <laughs> tinged with jealousy or bitterness so mm, i think delicious. that should be taken into account because sometimes i'll be like huh, 
stand-up comedians are just sketch groups, but they didn't have any friends. And then other times I'd be like, <laughs> no one likes sketch comedy. Why are you doing it? So that's my dichotomy. Uh, that I, know, I think that, that's fair enough. But look, we like anyone listening will know that sketch groups are just made up of, you know, a number of people not funny enough to do stand-up on their own, I guess. Yep, there you go. <laughs> that's exactly the other side of it. Fight, fight, fight. I'm just annoyed because Will is saying he's approaching this with sort of bitterness and jealousy, which tends to be my approach to whatever we discuss on the podcast, but... Oh, it's also mine. I've just never been open about that. It does actually, it does surprise me, Will, or at least I did know this, but it certainly did surprise me whenever you told me in the last year or so that you'd never done stand-up. I kind of just assumed that being Mm. someone in comedy and theatre, you would have done it at some point. Yeah, it's just never sort of, it's never been the right time. And I also, I've always wanted to try it, but then when I was 18, if I'd done it when I was 18, it would have been bad. It would have been so bad. I wouldn't have been ready for it. And I wouldn't, I would have just been being like, oh, family guy they taught me how to be funny so i I guess i'll just say horrible things and see what happens you know oh yeah well i mean i think very few people would be creating high quality comedy at the age of 18 um and i think you're always going to be influenced by the comedy you've grown up with the comedy you enjoy at the time and then there's also you're influenced by the time itself by what is going on in the comedy world at that time, I think. Would you agree with that, Mags? Yeah, I think we came of age in a time of like a very kind of trend towards honesty in comedy. And very much, I mean, I remember hearing somebody derogatorily describing um, the shows that get nominated for what was the Perrier and whatever it's called now, the Comedy Prize in Edinburgh, um, as always including a My Sister Died show uh, because <laughs> because people put a premium on these like extremely honest, exposing shows. And I think things have moved away hugely from like writing gags. Like it used to crack me up when people, typically an uncle would be like, you can put that in your comedy show. And be like, <laughs> I don't tell written jokes and they would just be like what the fuck do you do then and you're like i and it, and it always really um upset me <laughs> when people i really remember my boss in work when i was booked to do the cat laughs in kilkenny and i said um i have i have to book these days off or whatever i'll be at the cat laughs in kilkenny he was like oh are the tickets out already and i was like i'm actually performing in it and he was like you're not really funny though are you i was like I, <laughs> um, I, uh, listeners of the podcast possibly are like, mm, I agree, but, um, <laughs> like, you know, like, it's, it's very, it's very, uh, unusual psychological thing to be like, I'm not going to tell you haha jokes with like a beginning, middle and an end in purse in, in, you know, in day to day life, but I am willing to get up on stage and like spill my guts and use everything that I've observed from my life for the last several years to construct jokes. Um, and I think it does cause a lot of weird, I, I don't know if it's a chicken or egg thing, but there's a lot of fucked up comedians. I think a lot, a lot of heavily depressive comedians, a lot of yeah. very nihilist and existential people in comedy. Um, who are kind of fiddling while the world burns, um, and I think it's very, um, I think it's very interesting psychologically, like why people choose to do stand-up comedy. You know, I mean, you're kind of acting as a court jester, but currently, you know, like that's why I hate stuff like Michael McIntyre and stuff because it's so ersatz. You know, it's written by committee. You know, it's not yeah. coming from a truthful place. It's same like all the people who do that. Oh, aren't girlfriends? Uh, don't they nag you and the toilet seat, etc. All that stuff is so hack. Like it, the re- I really feel like the premium for most people in comedy is on like this very raw, honest stuff, and it doesn't have to be a My Sister Died show, 
but it does have to have a ring of truth to it. I think that's what makes people laugh. Uh, Mags, do you, <coughs> sorry, do you think that if you had, you know, stayed with the comedy, the stand-up side of things, and you'd had agents, like, would they have pushed you towards developing a persona? Is that something that you're forced into? I think maybe it happens a little bit more that you kind of have to get branded to an extent. So if you look at the comedy scene the last several years, because this is something that bothered me at the time that I was thinking about, like, am I going to like make more of a go of this? And the kind of the question, though, is about where you go with it. So, like, are you going to be touring around doing, you know, uh, every art centre in Ireland? That was the way it was for years that like you could wear a small fry unless you wanted to move to London and then those were the options basically or you know go into writing or something and now a lot of people go kind of you know they gig nationally and then they go to Edinburgh and then they might get a BBC pilot and then they get a six part series or whatever and they kind of go like to kind of like say Sarah Pascoe and uh, Sophie Willen would be an example of that from the last couple of years um, and then that's often a way that you might get into a, a panel show environment or you might go backwards from that like Ashling B being on out of 10 cats and then also doing this way up and people often use it as a segue for like serious work um but i think a lot of it is predicated on your personality and i think that you have to expose a lot of your personality so i think now it's less about making a persona which maybe it was in the past and there are loads of great persona comedians like if you go and see like dimitri martin or emo phillips when they're like in a full persona that like you know it's a whole thing but i think very much now you kind of have to bear your soul quite a lot. And I think that that's kind of the currency in comedy now. Yeah. And it's it's funny because I think, yeah, there was a time as well when I thought, you know, I'd finished college and we'd been doing stand-up. Again, not, like, I should say that I never was doing, was really working full-time at it as, as so many people do. Like, I was doing, mm. at, at the at the most regular, I was doing, uh, like, monthly, monthly gigs, you know? And... I should say, because, you know, during this, I'm sure I'll say some positive and negative things about stand-up. I mean, one of the main reasons why I never went further with it was because it's really, really hard. You know, it's really hard work. And if you look at people who are going and doing stand-up however many nights a week, and they could be great stand-ups, but to go through the process, you are still going to be performing to tiny crowds of people who aren't necessarily interested in hearing you. And you've got to do so much. You've got to do so much of a graft. And I think, yeah, I think there is a branding thing. And certainly I felt like I was grand, you know, like whatever. Generally, people laughed, you know, when I did my stuff, great. But at the same time, if I was to be like, you know, what differentiates me from a thousand other stand-ups? I'd be like, nothing, you know? Like, I genuinely wouldn't be able to think of anything, you know? I, I wouldn't, I would be like... It's a funny one, because I, I think it's like, I don't know if it's a cause and effect thing, because it's like the... It, it's something that people go to who are... I, well, I don't know. It's very hard to generalize about why people go to stand-up comedy. But I think there's something about the lifestyle of it that always makes me go like, oh my God, because if you're gigging, you know, a lot and touring around, you're doing that on your own. And there's a really nice, there is a stand-up community of people and like a lot of people are mates because of the stand-up circuit mm. and like have yeah. a support system of friends and it's really nice. But I would personally find it very hard, like when we've done gigs here and there, if the gig goes really badly, you've got three other people for us as a sketch group to be like, hey, did that go badly? And the three other people go, no, no, we killed. That was great. And you go, oh, okay, I must have just been in a weird headspace. Okay, cool. But if you're on your own, like that conversation can't be had. And 
it must be I, I just find the idea of like you know having to drive from city to city and do like your 20 minute slot and then be in your own head about it i think i would find that mentally quite taxing the lifestyle of it i think is really hard and uh, people who do it and do it well i'm very <laughs> impressed by because i think it yeah, must yeah. be hard because i think also the end game is very hard so the graft that kind of like driving around and doing a gig in colchester or ballina or whatever to a non-selected audience of people who are like i am just here to laugh and they may just absolutely hate your style of jokes mm. which leads to a very painful experience for all the concerned the graft is horrible but also the end game is very opaque so like where do you end up do you end up as an auteur writing a six-part series on tv do you end up as a guest panelists on game shows you know do you end up doing a show at the apollo and a netflix special or whatever and when everything trades off your real life and your real experiences and persona which is what most stuff does now apart from the few people who've maybe carved out political or surrealist or absurdist comedy careers you know it's very hard to generate enough material so a lot of people end up in cycles of having to do the same jokes for a year a year and a half at a time you know only coming up with a new show every time they go to edinburgh or melbourne or not even add that frequently like it's very hard to generate enough material and particularly as you become famous like I really found this by when I started working as a doctor that I have many many funny observations about life but they're not suitable or professional to be shared with the general population so it actually ruled out a big chunk of my life experience you know between 70 and 100 hours of my week were kind of off the table <laughs> for discussion and that happens comedians when they become famous so like it's very hard for people who have become famous and now live in LA and work in writers rooms to make jokes in the same way that they did when they came up and it's an interesting phenomenon to watch at the moment over lockdown the phenomenon of the uh, Instagram comedian so there's a lot of people who became very famous over lockdown particularly in America I'm thinking of people like Jordan Firstman, Kara, uh, I can't remember her surname, OC, and they became famous doing um, kind of character comedy to camera directly on Instagram. And now are all trying to monetize and capitalize on it and getting deals and being brought into writers' rooms and getting Netflix options and all this kind of stuff. And they lose the currency of their normal day to day lives to talk about in stories because now they host parties with celebrities at them, at them and they don't have stuff to talk about with normal people anymore. So it's actually a very difficult career, I think, at all levels. Mm. Sorry, this has turned into a really serious conversation about my treatise. I was going to say, I think jokes. the stand-up episode has been the most insightful, but the least funny <laughs> of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I always prefer watching something funny with somebody else, but yeah. I went to see Billy Connolly, it must be 15 years ago, and didn't really know much about him I didn't really have high hopes for it and our seats the group of people I was with we were all separated and I was like well this is going to be awful I don't think I I nearly had to be taken away by ambulance <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny and I don't know maybe it's when somebody is just so good you know the that the atmosphere of the room was enough and postscript to that story I snuck backstage and met him afterwards he was he was so nice you snuck backstage Walking out of the National Concert Hall, sign saying backstage. It's like, it's going to walk backstage. He was like, hello, I have a photo with them. Yeah, there was no, there was no, I didn't break any rules. I just was like, the three of us went back and he was, he was just, he was just there. Had a long conversation with them. Absolutely lovely. What did you um, talk about? Yeah, what did you talk about? I don't know. I mean, I was about, I was about 18. I don't know. I don't know what we talked about. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, but it's a, it's a great example of, you know, don't ask, don't get, you know, just just walk with confidence. It are was, you it, are you glossing over like a really horrible groupie story, like where you three picked oh. out the audience by a security guard? <laughs> is that no. what this is? Is this almost, no, fa- was, almost was, famous national concert hall edition? No, it was it was all very before. He was really nice. Max, and, we don't need uh, Billy Connolly suing the podcast. <laughs> I believe he is. Actually, listener. maybe we do, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, but uh, no, he was he was he was really nice. But I, I just remember not knowing anybody around me, and he was just—I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen him live. But he is—it's I, 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 not—I don't know—I don't really enjoy him other than that. But uh, yeah, great guy. No, as in I—I would—I wouldn't. I wouldn't really seek out like if it he has was on... to be one on one in a green room for her to yes. really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. uh, if if I wouldn't I wouldn't if he was on TV I wouldn't really have an interest in it. But it was very much that it really worked. Uh, life like he is just yeah. I think I'm quite a bad stand up audience member in that I tend to laugh relatively silently. You know I do a lot of sort of <laughs> and. <laughs> There's lots of lots of inhalation. Yeah, I just use it as an excuse to breathe more effectively. Um, throat, Hugh, yeah. a bit embarrassingly, you Hugh has been um taking me to task over the noises that I apparently make on the recording. <laughs> no, and, uh, these actually sound a lot like the noises that you make at comedy. I, I nearly sent you another one there. I was doing an edit the other day and I nearly sent you another one which was kind of a sort of a low whistling gasp. And uh well, just, well, give us a give us a go. Just sort of a like you'd you'd finish saying something and then sort of went, oh. <laughs> 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 I'm like I'm like Anya. I mean, you know, there's every now and then I kind of think, God, was she going up some stairs when she recorded this? <laughs> no, I'm just sitting here. I think it's that you don't realise. Just motoring around Duns. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it behooves us to mention, I suppose, the the big elephant in the room for comedy generally, which is. Uh, women in comedy. Hang on, do women do comedy? <laughs> no. Uh, so, uh, like Mags, you've obviously presumably seen it from the inside. I mean, you know, what's your what's your take? Uh, well, did, yeah. did, did, did being a woman make it harder to pursue it long term? Definitely, a lot, a lot of people gleefully said to me at various points, um, trying to give me a compliment after shows. Um, I don't normally like female comedians, uh, but you were really funny, um, and I appreciated the sentiment. You know, thank you for the compliment. But definitely, that was very rife. Like when I was active in it from about, I suppose, two thousand and eight to about two thousand and sixteen, um, it was definitely. Uh, you know, frequently people would just openly discuss things that in the kind of early 2010s, people definitely still said things like, you know, can women be funny? Are women able to do jokes and stuff? Oh, it definitely and I still think, happens. <laughs> I think that a lot of that has faded away at one level. And I think the level it's faded away at is the kind of Amy Schumer, you know, like big Netflix special, big American comedian, Michelle Wolf, you know, uh, people doing kind of like stadium level comedy. I think it still is very apparent at the kind of gigging circuit and club levels and stuff. Like, I think it's still very hard to be a female comedian without having to address it in some way, uh, whether you're going to go like balls to the wall, you know, um, 
you expect me to do period jokes, so here's a load of disgusting period jokes, you assholes. Or if you're going to have to talk about like stereotypical gender stuff, or if you're going to have to just boldly address that you're a female comedian, but you're not that type of female comedian. Like, I think it's still very hard to be a female comedian without somehow having to reference it in a way that men just can completely get away with scot-free. Like, obviously a huge amount of men, I have to say, do a lot of very, like, relationship-heavy stuff and do a lot of stuff that very much references their gender role. But you can definitely get away with not being that type of comedian if you're a man in a way that I think women have to make some kind of nod to it somehow, I think. And then just to go back to what Will mentioned earlier there, the the lifestyle of the, like, I'm up to Aberystwyth tonight to stay in a travel lodge... Like, yeah, for exactly. a lot of women, that's not going to be a sustainable lifestyle. You know? Yeah, I think a lot of times people drop out of the kind of stand-up lifestyle if they don't. I think a lot of people set kind of a time limit for themselves and are just like, if I'm not, you know, on nine out of ten cats or whatever in four years or whatever, then it's time to call it a day and I'm not getting in the car and going to Gateshead um, in a return trip tonight or whatever so yeah i think obviously that disproportionately affects you know women of childbearing years I, probably i so. think the the biggest thing holding you back from stand-up comedy mags and success in that career is that you you think it's nine out of ten cats <laughs> it's I, eight out of ten cats i didn't want to correct you because i thought it just oh, made mags sound charming and old it, it, <laughs> the first time it happened i thought right, it's inappropriate to interrupt but now i'm like this feels like you're gonna say no, this to someone who's gonna be very it. upset about it <laughs> I'll just do an audio take of me saying eight out of ten cats. Eight out of ten cats. That's show eight out of ten cats. It's more that uh, our <laughs> listeners are now going to be like, she, she couldn't even. Can't that that woman was a comedian. She didn't. She even doesn't know, know anything about comedy. Cats was. She <laughs> doesn't even know what that Jimmy Carr show is called. Yeah. But Max, you know what's really uh, shocking? Like I remember saying, "Oh, I don't find women funny." Yeah. But totally there was a phase as well. Like, face to sing but, like but in the early noughties, there was the whole phase of Ladette culture and stuff. And there was a big backlash. And I made loads of misogynist jokes when I was 20 on stage, thinking that I was being super edgy, like an absolute edgelord, and that this was the absolute <laughs> height of comedy. And that's the fear, that's the danger of doing comedy when you're young. Um, something that's been addressed by people like Bo Burnham, who did very much kind of yeah. like um, family guy level humour when he was a teenager. Um, and has grown up, you know, in the comedy spotlight his whole life. But, like, that was a fashionable thing to say and think. It was kind of the the post-feminism, anti-feminism thing, and, you know, it's kind of gone away now to an extent. But, like, that was totally, like, the flavour of the noughties. But it was also, I think it was also as well, that you just had, and you get this in all walks of life, you know, it comes back to the, it comes back to the, you know, female being, female politicians, you know, being called shrill let's say you mm. know or that you'd get female comedians being called vulgar and you'd very yeah. rarely get male comedians being called vulgar you know joe brand is someone who and mm. i totally have to admit this that when i started uh watching joe brand i was like <laughs> you know there's a lot of just Ugh. and i was like no i do not like this and yet over the years i've just come to absolutely love her and i think she's amazing you know um and so but but it's that thing that it's just and not that I'm trying to avoid responsibility for that, but it's just sort of implanted in your mind that a man talking about sex can be funny, but a woman talking about sex or or again, I guess it's just the whole thing of, well, society doesn't want to know about female health and hygiene and sexual matters, you know? Yeah. Just and, therefore, like, yeah. And, and if they if they do, if people start talking about that, then it's 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 vulgar and they're just trying to find some something funny out of that as opposed to 
Maybe the problem is that you know, <laughs> you know nothing about anything really you know but sometimes sometimes it is vulgar like there's lots of like totally. there's lots of comedians i don't enjoy the comedy but i appreciate they're not doing it on the 46a in the morning it's it's <laughs> no and, and, you're and, free and, to listen and or not sorry listen, and know? i'm not just saying i'm not saying like oh women should be allowed to tell loads of jokes about periods you know that's <laughs> that's what, <laughs> what they know about <laughs> like again i'm like I, that's that's not it at all but again it's just the double standards that people are held to i guess you know but it's, it's funny you say that, Hugh, because, I mean, Dara O'Brien, who is kind of very much considered, I don't know, not the family comedian, but, you know, kind of a good crowd pleaser, makes a lot of quite raunchy jokes. And, <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't particularly love that, but I mean, I don't think it's any worse than, you know, Amy Schumer. Sorry, just laughing at you saying raunchy. I think Amy Schumer is one of the, I think she's hilarious. Nine but... out of ten cats can get very raunchy sometimes. <laughs> very raunchy. <laughs> A terrible word. So, like, give you a recap of where we're at so far with our pros and cons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've you've agreed that it's a, an amazing skill to be able to do, uh, but that there's some very hacky stuff out there, which was a which was a con. So Michael McIntyre got got a got a got a good going over. So you agreed that when it's good, it's amazing. Like a lot of things in life, uh, the cons were that if you're involved in it, it it's hard to make it, and it can be hard to to generate content as you become more and more successful. You become less relatable. Uh, the lifestyle is very rough going. There's serious issues of representation um, of women and if you're doing it when you're young you're very likely to make mistakes that you'll be mortified by and I'm sure Hugh and Max you're just thankful there, there aren't recordings of some of your, your earlier oh, work oh very very <laughs> thankful for the lack of I think that, uh, that con can be extended to anyone who's not not in the sort of demographic of white man where that's been the established norm like anyone there is suddenly a pressure that it's just harder it's harder for people who don't fit into like to that so I think that can extend to ethnic minorities and gay and trans people and there's also there is there does seem to, and i know it's i know it's started uh, you know there have been various various things coming out and obviously like like bigger stories like louis ck say but also like been a number of smaller stories um certainly in the last couple of years in ireland and the irish scene on a sort of mm. on, a, on a me too level you know and it, it's like you kind of feel like the comedy Me Too scandals still haven't hit, you know? Like, it does seem like there's a lot of awful stuff going on in that world, you know? And again, that's not to... Look, there's a lot of stuff going on in every aspect of the world, but I guess that's, again, the nature of something that was always very male-driven and... I don't know, you know, it feels like there's a lot... There's a lot more still to come out there. And like I say, even even on on a low level, you know, there's various... And again, <laughs> I'm not going to say people's names here because if you know about them, you already know about them. But like maybe a year ago, 18 months ago, there were various mm. names in Ireland, you know, that were coming out and people who were not particularly famous comedians. But suddenly we realized, oh, no, these yeah. are these are bad guys. Like, And the sort of gatekeepers to gigs and stuff. And that's another thing where we spoke about where we spoke about like um, people traveling the country. The, the idea of getting in a, a car with a random 50 year old comedy booker as a young man is mm. less intimidating i think it's a fair generalization generalization to make than if you're a young woman traveling across the country getting in a car with a random man that's like that's a whole different thing it's a much yeah. harder like there's so much to it there's so much nuance that just isn't thought about and hopefully we're thinking about it more now and i think there are some there's some good people who are trying to make it better 
And um, actually, I think one good thing has been uh, podcasting. Yeah, for because, real. <laughs> and, and like Mags, you mentioned the kind of the Instagram comedians, that it has allowed people to, I suppose, get on the soapbox in their own homes. And it has opened up, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, if you, you know, anyone can start, of course, nobody can start a podcast, not just anybody can start a podcast, but... No, 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 uh, it's a know. rigorous <laughs> check process. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Register with the authorities. This isn't as easy as it looks, folks. Uh, but, you know, I, I, you know, anybody can do it. And, uh, you know, I think if you if you go on to Spotify or, or uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, that was called... Thanks, producer. <laughs> You'll have to cut that out. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of, say, for example, uh, podcasts, comedy podcasts by women. Um, and that's how they're women with children. Um, Hugh, I've told you about, you know, my therapist ghosted me. I'm a big fan. Vogue Williams and, and John McNally. It's fantastic. Uh, and, you know, Vogue is somebody with two children. And I'm not sure that it would be as easy to get those people on, on stage in, uh, I don't know, Chelmsford. Is that a place, Will, in England? Yeah, yeah that, that's, I can <laughs> confirm that is a place that people would go to, yeah. So here's something that people love to ask people about comedy, right? It, can anything be funny? Oh, yeah, that's hard. I think it can be, but also some things just don't fucking joke about. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Fence-sitter. I think anything can be funny, but it comes back to the thing of what you're actually laughing at in the joke, you know? It's what what is the target of the comedy, you know? Yeah, I think more and more that the subtext and the intention is all about whether something is okay or not. And I think it's a lot about whether you're punching up or down, uh, whether um, a person is a butt of a joke or an institution or a concept or an idea. Or a movement or something is the butt of a joke. Like, I think there's a lot of nuance now. And I think we've aged out of that early noughties, uh, you know, teenage boy level comedy yeah. where you can make the super offensive joke so long as it's super funny. I used to think that if it was funny enough, you could maybe joke about most things. I'd say most. I still think there's some stuff that just I don't think is a good idea to joke about. But now I think people are a lot more sensitive. And I don't think just think it's like cal- cancel culture and leftists and stuff. And I definitely refer you to Stuart Lee's famous comedy diatribe about uh, political correctness <laughs> going mad. But, um, you know, it's, it's very much, uh, I think it's very much about intention. I think people are very sensitive to that now. And I think people often get very upset and, you know, talk about the fact that they're being cancelled and they're being stymied and there's no such thing as free speech and stuff. And it's just because they've been caught with their pants down, literally or figuratively, <laughs> and are just coming across as a bully or an arsehole and they don't like being called out on it and I think that that's quite prevalent now that people have less sympathy for uh, kind of imperialist or kind of looking down upon people kind of comedy I think that's become much less acceptable than it was yeah and I think I I think you're right and when there's particular people or groups being targeted but I mean even I remember years and years ago the first time ever like when I was watching Faulty Towers as a kid you know and like there's certain things in Faulty Towers that you'd change you know there's racial slurs that are used in it that you'd take out probably not have Andrew Sachs playing a a Spanish person sure absolutely absolutely but I mean if you look at you know one of the probably the most famous episode you know is the Germans and you have you know Basil is making all these you know on he's had a head injury and he's suddenly letting all these things slip about the war and all this but you know <laughs> like the target of that episode is not <laughs> germany german people you know anything like that the idea is that this you know this bizarre and such a like such a 
pathetic and uh, I guess bigoted man in his own right that you're yes. laughing at his you're you laughing know, at Basel. his small mindedness and his inability to separate you know bigger things from from smaller things and cultures from people and things like that so the the as you say while there are things to change in it I think that's a perfect example of where even though he's making jokes about about the war and about Germany and things like this it's not it's not targeted at German people I suppose you know it's I think as well though in a in a in a sitcom you have the time to give the context and stuff whereas stand-up is rapid fire you know and I, and I know it's probably easy in stand-up i don't know about you guys have you ever found yourself saying something where you're like why have i started this <laughs> you know or something isn't landing or you know what's wrong but like a lot of the, the i don't want to i'm sure they're all avid listeners to the show i don't want to name drop but i mean there's a couple of big names in uk in british comedy who have made like targeted you know, mm-hmm. uh, drone-like strikes, uh, you know, in jokes. And, and you kind of have to wonder about some of that, you know, where it's so considered. But, and they, you know, there is no time to give context in stand-up. You know, you're just landing these body blows on people. So, you know, I don't know. I think there's a big difference, though, between, like, working out some material on a night, saying something that's ill thought through that you don't quite agree with. Like, Nish Kumar talks about this, where he spoke he spoke about something, and he speaks in, like, one of his later sets about someone heckling him to talk about his use of a certain language. It makes it very funny. But it's like, you, you I, think, I think there should be space to make mistakes and stuff, and I think someone doing a mixed bill, working out material, says something a bit problematic, and then changes it. I think that's fine. But when you've got a Netflix special, and it's like, so let's take down the trans community. It's like, yeah. <laughs> why... why? why hey <laughs> hey now it's um yeah i i don't know i i think it's the it's sort of like what you were saying mags it comes under different guises of like it was political correctness gone mad for a while and now it's wokeness gone mad and yeah. really it's just that there are rules and people can get hurt so like what are you there to do and there's this thing that really really aggravates me when people say that stand-up comedy is there to push boundaries because as mm. far as i understood it it was there to make people laugh yeah, and yeah. pushing boundaries, I think, is something that happens in cricket, Hugh. I don't know. Well, if you, then you, they'd have to actually take a break from play in order to put the boundary back in the correct place, because otherwise okay. you could you could hit a four that wouldn't be given as such, and so that could cause a problem <laughs> in the score. But um, Anthony Jeselnik, he's a guy. He's an American comedian, and I'm a big fan. I think his comedy is great. He's got a podcast as well, JRVP, which I'd highly recommend you listening to. But his comedy. He jokes about some rough stuff, you know, and like he has one joke. And I remember uh, he has this joke which involves discussing murder-suicide, right? And it's, I like, I laughed so much at it. I just found it so funny. I think it's such a good joke. I continue to think it's such a good joke. I think the way he does it is brilliant. Now, I'm not going to recommend to friends of mine who I know might be particular, you know, have sensitivity in that area. I'm not going to say, oh, go and watch this joke of Anthony Jeselnik's, you know, you're going to love it. Well, it's but, very offensive to the murderers that you know. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think... Oh, Q, you know I love doing that, and I can't anymore. <laughs> so I just think, you know, I think that, you know, you there's, there's those things where just because not everyone, just because it is not for everyone does not at at any any given point does not mean it it you know it can't be funny and you can't find it funny and i suppose 
again, I would say that's not a that's not a joke that targets a particular group. You know, it's not a joke that targets people who have been affected by suicide, even though those people might not be. Well, that's an interesting thing, I suppose, that like, you know, there's a difficulty, there's a kind of nuance in is all comedy for everyone all of the time, you know? Uh, when somebody says something um, embedded in a special of their comedy in their style about some topic that they take umbrage with, uh, when you pull out pull quotes and put it in the newspaper and then publicise it for a thing to an audience of people who would never have watched it, you know, is that is that a fair interpretation of comedy? So mm. there's stuff that just is plain beyond the pale that, like, just, you know, probably just shouldn't be out there and is just heinously offensive. And then there's stuff, there's a whole grey area of stuff. And does everything have to be funny in all circumstances all the time for it to be acceptable comedy? Like, because that really forces you down to the absolute bare minimum of, you know men leave the toilet seat up, ha you know, like that's, <laughs> yeah. that really pushes you closer and closer to the common denominator. So like, there are loads of comedians I love who are very artful um, and I think, and uh, very good at talking about topics, but I don't think that a lot of people would enjoy it. And then is it fair if you pull out parts of their comedy and display it to people who were just never the intended audience in the first See, place? See, I think the opposite spe- end of the spectrum, the other kind of bro-ish end of the Joe Rogan end of things. Yeah. Like, so you have people like, you know, Lenny Bruce and he was tried for obscenity and that was kind of very much like counterculture and pushing the boundaries. And a lot of these guys now have shown up to the party after everyone else has left and they're determined to push the boundaries. Mm. But that's not, I, I don't really know that there's boundaries to push anymore. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, or, or certainly not ones that we want to push. Yeah, well, I think the boundaries that we want to push now it's what we were talking about earlier about representation. You know, it's about making it an industry that's, you know, fair for people to go into regardless of your gender, your ethnicity, your sexuality, you know, regardless of who you are, that it's an equal market for you all to work in. And so that's, you know, that's the boundary that needs to be pushed rather than someone who just wants to make a joke about a dead baby. (laughs) Yeah, just say anything, yeah. This has turned out to be so unfunny, guys. It it is quite yeah. interesting, all right. I don't know have we built up enough goodwill that they can, uh, the listeners can handle a not funny episode about humor but, about comedy. Like, m- men and women are different, though, aren't they? And the, <laughs> th- those are the only two. Like, like it's just men and women. That's it. Very different. Uh, Will, see, so you've never done stand up. No, but I'm working on some really transphobic content. That I think is going to go down very well. <laughs> yeah. Because everything is funny, guys, okay? Yeah, 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 so. yeah. I'm here to push boundaries. They've had it too good too long, Will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I will do it. I'll give you an update when I've done it. I've tried it in like 20 years' time, and I'll let you know how I how I think about it then. I do remember doing... Um, I actually entered uh, one of the... There was this, I don't know, it's still going on, a stand-up competition, So You Think You're Funny, that used to end up... If you won yeah. it, you got... You got um, Did you do that? I entered that. Did you enter it? No. No, I entered it one year. Yeah, and I went over to London. And Doug. Yeah, oh and did, did you the... fucking kept this under your hat? This would have been great earlier on. Yeah, you <laughs> <I> kept this. <laughs> it's going to become very clear why I kept it under my hat. Um, I had so I had my whatever my seven minutes or something that I that I went and did, and I thought it was a pretty good seven minutes. You know, it had done okay when I'd used it before, and. Um, mm. 
Yeah, I went over and like it went fine, I would say. You know, it was it was grand. I certainly didn't get as good a reaction as I would have liked, but I certainly didn't bomb. And um they were like, Oh yeah, we'll call you to let you know if you've got through to the next round. They never called me. Um but Aww. one of the guys now I presume he didn't get through, but in a way, you know, I wonder if he did. He did he sort of did a set and it was like not particularly funny and sort of hanging on. And then his final bit was that he had this prop horse's head that he put on and did a bit about Shergar. <laughs> no, this was in like 2009. That sounds like something I could potentially love. What is Shergar? Who's Shergar? He was a very, very uh, successful A Kildare celebrity. Who was kidnapped by the IRA in <laughs> 1986, maybe? So it was um, really, really zeitgeisty. Really topical like... humour. And he was an English guy. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doing a Shergar joke. And you know what? It went down better than anything I did. <laughs> and that might have been the moment when I thought, comedy is probably just not for me. That that man's name, Michael McIntyre. McIntyre. <laughs> <laughs> this is like I did an audition to be a, a TV presenter what? around the same time. What on earth? Why have we only just got to this now? <laughs> yeah. Why do we spend so much time talking about my ingrown toenail? I know. I I saw an ad and I applied and I went to the to a hotel <laughs> and did a. This now sounds a bit casting couchy. Um, <laughs> I a bit casting Betty actually. Yeah, went to a hotel, yeah. a conference room, and I had to do like a piece to camera. <laughs> <laughs> there was a leather couch and then I was called back for this this second day and it was it was maybe there was like 20 or 30 people and we got us put into groups and I got she was like I think you'd be really good as a business show host <laughs> and me and this guy had to pretend to host a business show and, like it was a full setup with like cameras and, and what, the... what do you mean a business show like even the way you say it now sounds like <laughs> an eight-year-old saying it <laughs> you know so a business show. We, we also had to develop the concept the so the idea was, was kind of like mary, you know mary portis and her mary queen of shops so we'd go in and be like mags and will are running a b&b in hertfordshire and it's shite you know we're here to help them gloss <laughs> you're, like, you're like the brennan brothers like at your service Actually, yeah, speaking actually, of which, and this goes back to Mags's Mags's boss saying you're not very funny. Uh, Francis Brennan, <laughs> I don't know, should I even say, should I mention him in this? Francis Brennan, who, yeah, I've met a number of times over the years, a very nice man, lovely fella. But he, um, when he heard that I was doing stand-up comedy, he said, "You doing stand-up comedy? Sure, he wouldn't say boo to a goose." <laughs> Thanks, Francis. Oh. <laughs> so what happened to the business show? Did you get it? Did you Well I actually have the rejection email here as oh. a, as a as a treat. I'm so <laughs> sorry, Anya, but after you came in, a man with a horse head came in and we just thought that's what we need to do. <laughs> he just did such a good sh- good shirt. Uh, here we go. Okay. So this is 2008. <laughs> Hi there, Anya. Hope you're well. I just wanted to let you know my decision following the recent screen test. To be honest, <laughs> This is so harsh. You are in my maybe category. <laughs> you were <laughs> you were confident and believable on screen. You did talk very fast, and I felt there was something lacking. But I wonder, with a little training and a bit of guidance, would you be able to improve sufficiently to hold a program together? 
I also wasn't sure about the chemistry between you and your potential co-presenter. I'm thinking about you for two categories, business and youth affairs. Are you interested in doing either of those? Uh, let me know. And it, it may be that I get you to do a slot for a pilot and rotate with a few more potential co-presenters. Uh, and it didn't really go anywhere after that. this for on Except that I had lied about how good my Irish skills were. <laughs> and I was offered a presenting job on TG Card doing a documentary about Photo Wildlife Park. And I was like, I, I don't think I can bluff this any further. So, yeah, there you go. 2008. Uh, so you could have been like Mank and Magon or yeah. whatever his name is. And you could have been like a famous Hector type presenter there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got as far as talking to them about doing like a, a screen test for it. What was I thinking? And I, I don't know. You, you don't speak, speak Irish. Fast. Yeah, speak too fast. Not on a, but a believable on screen. Um, believable on screen. It's such a weird. It's like well, yeah, I believe she's <laughs> yeah, on I screen because yeah. she's on screen. I had, t- I had totally forgotten <laughs> all of this until just now. So there you go. Fantastic. We all have our uh, uh, Hugh. I love that you and I at the same time were doing all these secret projects and not telling anybody. I've actually found an email I got. So it was two thousand and nine. And it goes on, blah, blah, blah. Uh, please bring a recognisable passport photo or similar of yourself with a name on the back. This is very important. We need a visual aid when we're going over our notes. Now, obviously, your man would have brought a picture of Shergar, I presume. And then it says, no comedy photos of you <laughs> as a baby or from the back. <laughs> I like that. Can I just say that these people who are going to judge whether I was a comedian define comedy photos as either... A baby picture or a picture from the back. Infant. Pretty funny. If you and then the they say, the back of your head, that's then funny they stuff. say, I actually Pretty read this funny. wrong. It says, so I'm sorry, you will not get a phone call if you are not in the next stage. And then what they say is, apologies for that now. But I read that as a much more Irish, apologies for that now. <laughs> <laughs> as though, like, it's a B&B owner telling you she doesn't have any dessert. Yeah. No ham sandwiches. Okay, so I think uh, just uh, should channel Michael a little bit now. And uh, do you want to give your closing statements, your closing positions on uh, stand-up comedy? I think I think let's let's as as is uh, you know as went down best in your stand-up career, Hugh. We'll we'll leave Mags as the headliner. I genuinely don't know what I want to say here. Will you go it's first? A, oh, it's a stupid podcast, Hugh. Um, it's a bad podcast. So uh, <laughs> my thoughts on stand-up comedy. Uh, as someone who does sketch comedy, I can't. I can't, in all faith, or I don't know if that's the right word. I, I don't think I can say it's a legitimate like because I haven't done it yet, and I'm too scared of it. Um, so, uh, from from uh, Bittersville and Jealous Town, uh, as someone who would like to do it but is too scared, it can't be a legitimate like because uh, it's not sketch comedy, and I haven't done it. <laughs> and anyone who likes it is. Um, uh, fine, but I don't like it. I do like it, but I can't. Until I do it, it's not legitimate. Like, fair enough. You have done it, so that does weigh into things. I have done it. I have also given up doing it. Um, ah, uh, look. I think I'm going to say that. Uh, in in the. Oh, like, yeah. God, Hugh, I don't, just... I don't mean to be rude about either your opinion or this podcast, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know. Yeah. No, I genuinely don't even know what to say. <laughs> Listen, I think stand up can be great. It can be terrible. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed doing it when I did it. Um, I don't really want to do it anymore. I think there are amazing stand ups out there, and 
there is something very nice about being able to go to a show and watch an hour of someone be very funny, just laugh away at it. And ultimately, I don't need to go and see the bad stand-ups. I don't need to go and see the people who I don't like or who make the jokes that I don't like or find offensive. So I just will ignore them and will say that stand-up, when it's just there to make people laugh and have a good time and forget about whatever else is going on, is a legitimate like. Very good. I was hoping you'd do this, you, because this means the headline act. Yeah, I mean, Will, to be honest, break. if you'd voted it in favour of it, I might have voted it down just to leave it to Mags. Oh, don't don't let the audience behind the curtain. Speaking of behind the curtain, please welcome to the stage, <laughs> Mags! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I definitely think that stand-up is a legitimate like. I think... Um, Despite all the uh, difficulties of doing stand-up, I think uh, definitely that stand-up is a force for good in the world and that it has the power to uh, take you away from your humdrum life um, in a way that few other things do. So I definitely think it is legitimate like. There you go. It's goddamn official. Mm. Stand-up can stay. Stand-up... Has a place Stand in the world. Stay. It's legitimate. It, it's officially legitimate. And before we go, Anya, what would you have voted if you had a vote, which you absolutely don't? Uh, I would have said absolutely not. Not legitimate, like. Oh my god. I, mean, I, th- I think there's more bad stuff than than good stuff there, and it's just not my favorite form of. I, I like comedy. <laughs> you understand? Uh, it's just uh, wouldn't be my 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 favorite way of consuming it. And I think there's a lot of bad negative stuff around it. And I think it has just been so shockingly slow on the representation side of things uh, that for me, it's uh, it's not a legitimate like. Well, thank God you didn't have a vote because that was a very, very valid argument. <laughs> what would Billy Connolly say? Hello! <laughs> <laughs> you know the best, don't you? Who the fuck are you talking about? I just fine. That was bad. It was bad. That was pretty that was good. That was pretty good. I'll have to take out the photo, Hugh, as an, accomp- as an accompaniment for the episode. Mags, thanks so much for coming back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Sorry if we're treating it like being a guest lecturer on um, comedy, the art yeah, that's form. that's what we were hoping for. When for we a polytechnic. Yeah. Uh, you, you talked about Will's feet for a bit as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, let's not forget that there was some very useful ingrown toenail information. So I, I haven't forgotten about it because I keep banging my toe off the wall and being like, mm. you're going to have to edit out a lot of winces. Um, Hugh, any final thoughts? Nope. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Legitimate Likes. It's a great podcast and you should tell all your friends about it. Please like it, subscribe to it, um, share it with people and come back for more of Mags, Anya, Hugh and Will deciding if things are legitimately likeable. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. 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 stand up the highs and the lows and also we end up discovering on his business show well Max and Hugh used to tell jokes but Will's not left out in fact at the center of the show it's Will's ingrown toenail
and ingrown toenail It's so ingrown that toenail We don't like Michael McIntyre That's easy to see but Anya's been stalking Billy Connolly, yeah But let's not ignore the headline About what to do with your toenail When it starts burrowing into your foot You do a wedge resection A wedge resection You really slice that nail Oh, you do a wedge resection And you're gonna need dressings From your public health nurse For several weeks after on a regular basis Oh, it's your ingrown Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.